play Auburn tomorrow. Auburn's ranked. What's up, everybody? My name is Hunter Mitchell. Welcome back to another episode of Point Kentucky. I'm joined once again by my co-host, Leah Edmond. How are you, Leah? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Well, we were going to leave with Madison and Lily, but she isn't here yet. So why don't we go ahead and we'll do a little uh, recap of Nebraska while we wait for Madison to come in and we'll kind of go in depth once um, she gets here or after she's finished. But Leah, I came away from that Nebraska match thinking almost that Kentucky had won. They looked so much better. I mean, obviously they didn't, and we talk about moral victories, and, and those don't exist. But Kentucky was a drastically different team Sunday night against Nebraska. What did you see from Kentucky against the Cornhuskers? I mean, I saw the maturity, like competitive-wise, that we've been looking for all preseason. I mean, they were going toe-to-toe with them. And, of course, like that first set, they kind of got behind, but you saw them gradually get better and better. And by the time we got to that fourth set, they were rolling. Mm -hmm. And, of course, just little things got them at the end and some – suspect calls that I won't get into that I didn't we'll really get, We'll like. get to them eventually. Don't worry. <laughs> but I mean, overall, that's exactly what you want to see your last game in non-conference. And I mean, against such a big opponent in a big stadium, like that was the type of performance you want to see from them. And they did lose, which is super unfortunate, but like that game should have given them all the confidence in the world going into conference. I totally agree with you. Um, I kind of touched on it. I think that that team that showed up against Nebraska is totally different from any other game they've played all year long. Nebraska was coming coming into that match. They were leading the entire country in opponent hitting percentage. They were holding people to 076. Kentucky hit a season high for an opponent against Nebraska. They hit, I think, 270, um, maybe 230, somewhere in the 200s, mid-200s. Um, had a phenomenal match offensively against a Nebraska team that if you were watching um, that game and if you've never seen her, uh, or seen Nebraska play before, um, they pick up everything. Leah, yeah. you played against Nebraska. How frustrating it is it to play against a team that digs literally every single ball? It's like hard as a hitter because it starts to get to you mentally at some point when you're like putting your all into it and none of your balls are going down. Like it becomes so infuriating. So for them to ride that out, because there were some balls I was like, oh, that's down. And they got it up. And I was like, Lexi Rodriguez, like my goodness. I mean, she's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. But I know how frustrated they must have been when they were given their all passing perfect and they still couldn't get a kill. Well, and I think especially when you look at Kentucky struggles playing, you know, just getting production from the left side, Brooklyn and, and Megan, they had some really good swings, some shots that, again, haven't necessarily seen from them yet this year, um, that against any other team were going to be kills. I mean, truly, I know that sounds like, oh, you're just saying that. No, against any other team in the country, most of those balls are kills. Nebraska just dig that. That's John Cook's calling card. And that's why Craig mm-hmm. Skinner is been such a defensive coach because he was in John Cook's system. He knows the value of defense. Nebraska is just one of those teams that it it seems like it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to pick up everything. And um, unfortunately for Kentucky, they were on one Sunday night. And obviously that, that the highlight of that match was that minute and 12 second rally that seemed to go on forever. Um, But even in that, even in that rally specifically is, is great as Kentucky, you know, played the whole match they showed in that rally specifically from a defensive standpoint is we haven't seen that either. You you talked about mm-hmm. the scrappiness and fighting for every point. I mean, there were so many times where I thought the ball was down for Nebraska that Kentucky just came up with dig after dig block covers, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
honestly a really, really impressive game against Nebraska. We'll talk a little bit more about that after after we finish up with Madison. But Madison is officially here now, um, so we'll go ahead and welcome her in. Madison, thank you for joining Point Kentucky. Um, we are so excited to have you as the first coach on the show. Yes, thanks for having me. This is so awesome. I love this podcast. It's so cool that you guys are doing it, so I'm honored to be on. Well, thank you for coming. Well, we'll start here. Obviously, you were had a very illustrious career at Kentucky. Um, that's no no stranger to you. But what has it been like to return back to Kentucky this time as a coach? Yeah, it's special in a completely different type of way. I obviously have been in this for a couple months now. Time has flown by already. But um, it's really rewarding and in completely different ways than playing, um, working really hard with the setters and the middles and certain connections and different routes that we want to run and working really hard in practice and then seeing it all come to life in games is so awesome as a coach. Um, patience is a huge thing. So that's definitely a big work in progress, <laughs> but, um, our team is awesome. Our girls come in with so much drive and fire every single day to practice, which makes our job really easy and really fun. So, um, it's awesome to be back obviously in a different role, but loving it just as much. So, the fans might not know, but the past two years you've spent your time playing and you've been in Germany and France, and it's a lot different playing volleyball over there than it is over here. So why don't you talk about that experience a little bit, playing overseas and what's that like? Yeah, so uh, rewinding time a bit. So we won the national championship in late April of 21, and then I turned around pretty quickly in August and went to Germany for my rookie year professionally. Um, had a pretty good season over there. We made club history and made it to the finals of the German league. Um, so that was really cool. It's just a completely different world. I mean, I thought I was shell shocked when I came in as a freshman and I had the seniors of Kaz and Emily Franklin, who was a fifth year and DMAC. And I thought that was crazy. And then you go play professionally and you're playing with 10, 10 years older women. And, um, it's just a completely different perspective and you look at volleyball in a completely different way. And I learned so much about the game um, in an unconventional kind of way, I would say, because over there it's just played differently. Um, so it really opened my eyes to the, the variety of volleyball that's learned and played all across the world. And then going to France for my um, following year, just this past year, which finished up in May, um, was a completely different experience, obviously a different country, different league, um, brand new team. And it was, it was really cool. I was also playing with Avery Skinner. So that in itself was awesome. We were kind of like running back, um, the Kentucky days. So that made it honestly really, really enjoyable, but the camaraderie overseas is just hard to find. And especially coming from a program that's so tight knit, um, it's just not the same. And I just found myself really craving that and, um, craving wanting to be around people that wanted to bring out the best in their teammates. And that's just something that Kentucky is known for, obviously, and something that we've always excelled at, I think. And um, I wanted to get back to that. And it honestly, the timing worked out perfectly of all of this and um, got Craig on the phone and he was super pumped and it just fell right into place. So um, playing professionally was awesome. And I would tell everyone to do it time and time again. Um, there's so much to learn about everything culture volleyball everything um but it's really nice to be back with a little comfort blanket of lexington and kentucky volleyball madison you kind of touched on it but you didn't have like a gap from playing and then going into coaching is it hard at all to be sitting on the sidelines when you've been playing so recently and like you 
physically can't do anything on the court because you were competitive all four years you're Kentucky. I'm sure you were pro. I, I watched it firsthand. But, you know, how hard is that for you just sitting on the bench having to just sit there and watch? Yeah, it's very different. And it's also very different trying to articulate what I feel like mm-hmm. should be happening or what where we could what routes we could run on this point or where we should give the ball to or so having to put it into words instead of actions is honestly the hardest part um because I still kind of see the game in the same way I guess like as Emma is setting I'm like watching volleyball through how she's envisioning it I know that sounds crazy but I was talking to Craig about this like as Emma is setting I know exactly what she's seeing when she goes to set so I'm still kind of watching the game like that if that makes sense so um always during timeouts we're doing things a little bit differently and emma and i and the other setters we all talk um like me and them like what are you seeing how are you feeling what routes are hot right now who has the hot hand so we always kind of debrief in our timeouts and i think that that has given me a little bit a little bit of fun because i can just talk to emma i can talk to all the other setters what are you seeing on the sideline how are you feeling and we kind of go from there. So I definitely still feel like I'm a big part of it, which is special. Obviously, Emma's doing all of the hard work. Um, but for, it's a cool perspective to be able to do that and to be able to have the feedback loops that we have because it makes me still feel very much a part of it. Speaking of Emma, what is it like? I mean, I know when we were at Kentucky, you didn't have like a sole coach that did exactly setting. Craig did just about everything. So how do you see the difference with when you've been there to now being able to coach a setter as a setter, if there's a big difference you think in the gym? Yeah, I think it's a really big advantage for our setters from kind of like a a game plan standpoint, um, a decision-making standpoint. And the training, I, I would say, is pretty pretty similar because I learned from Craig. So that that isn't a big game changer, I would say. But I think being able to, again, break down timeouts, talk about decision making, talk about why we do certain things in this situation. I just have a little bit more bandwidth than when Craig's dealing with the whole team. So I think that in itself is a really big advantage. And um, it's really cool to have more dialogue with our setters and the, the conversations are always two ways, which I love. Like they're always asking questions. What do you see here? How do you feel about this route? I like being able to have that dialogue and it keeps all of us kind of creative and thinking about new things. And um, so it's been cool. And I definitely think it's an advantage. It's awesome to be able to step into that role and to have the trust from Craig to be able to do that. Um, but our setters are awesome. They work hard, they run the floor. Um, they're the quarterbacks of the team and they love it, which makes, again, my job really easy. Madison, I covered you long enough to know that you won't admit any of this about yourself, so I'll just do it for you. But you were one of the greatest setters that played at Kentucky maybe ever, one of the best setters collegiately that I've ever seen. Whenever you left, that was a big hole to fill regardless of who came into Kentucky. You know, obviously coming off a national title, a, a class that was full of seniors, all of which were some of the best the program had ever seen. But ever since Emma stepped foot on the court, I have seen a lot of your game in her. She doesn't get rattled very easily. She seems to have kind of a natural ability um, to know who to set and when to set them and where to set them. What's it been like seeing her up close and personal? Obviously, her first two years, you were overplaying professionally, but now you're getting to see her you know, every practice on the court up close and personal. What have you noticed about her? Does she remind you at all um, of yourself whenever you played at Kentucky? Yeah, Emma's a really special player. I think... Emma's a really special athlete, which is so much fun to, I'm sure, play with and also to work with. Because even a couple of days ago, I was like, Emma, just stop thinking, just run to the ball. 
<laughs> like you're, you're so athletic, like just stop thinking, stop being, she doesn't need to be this super technical setter because she's such a naturally gifted athlete. Um, and she has so much poise, which I think is huge in the setter position. I think being able to have a really calm demeanor, um, and to have, again, just the poise that Emma does is a huge benefit to our team. And especially when the offense is kind of rocky to be able to have your setter who is very kind of like flatline and very, very consistent, um, is huge. And Emma, <laughs> Emma's just really fun to work with. I, I can appreciate a little ball of muscle and a, just an amazing athlete after working with Emma. I think that you always can see like really good setters. Like there are a lot of really awesome setters in NCAA. And you look at Emma and you're like, you're an awesome athlete who can set the ball, who can run the offense and um, make great decisions, hype your hitters up and turn a bad pass into an amazing looking one. I mean, that's what makes a setter really special. So um, it's been cool, honestly. She makes me feel like a great tosser. So I can only imagine like shank a ball, Emma's got you. So. Um, it's been, it's been fun to work with her. And again, boosting my tossing skills, because that is an art. Tossing balls is not easy. Leah can attest to this. Um, but anyway, yeah, Emma's, Emma's great. And it's been special to work with her and see where she's taken the program since my like little two year gap. Um, but yeah, she's special. Tossing balls suck. It never gets easier. Like ever. never, never gets easier. You do it. I swear. You take like two days off, the weekend off. Go to toss a ball. Who knows where it's going? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> so recapping non-conference, you had some up and downs, and maybe not the record that you want, but you learned a lot about the team going into this weekend. You get LSU and Tennessee. What are your goals? What is it looking like? What is the locker room practices looking like? Knowing that you kind of had that hard non-conference, but you get a new season. Yeah, I mean, going to Nebraska last last weekend. No, we didn't come out with the win, but it was super gritty, and I think it was the most competitive that we've seen our team up until this point. And We've strung a really awesome week of practices together. Um, we were at practice, I think it was Wednesday, and we were playing a drill. And I kid you not, the score was like 59-59. Like we were, it was insanity, just crazy competitive. And um, I think we're kind of finding our identity a little bit more when it comes to the grit and the the Kentucky the Kentucky volleyball way, I guess. Everyone loves tuning in to watching Kentucky volleyball play because the ball doesn't hit the floor. We're, we're gritty, we're gonna compete, we're gonna fight no matter what the score is. And I think we've seen more and more of that um, as we've gotten closer to SEC play. And I think that's what definitely we're, we're hoping to hone into this first SEC weekend. And um, again, just trying to find that identity, find a little bit of that confidence. And, and we don't ever schedule easy preseasons. That's been the case for forever. And um, the goal is to not be our best self right now. Our goal is to be our best selves in December. So to have that, kind of struggle and to be able to kind of feel, okay, our backs are against the wall now. How are we going to handle it? And um, we're, we're turning a huge corner. I can feel it. And our girls are, are pumped to compete and their mindset hasn't changed at all, which I think is huge. We, we have some fiery competitors who are never going to, never going to back down from a challenge. So um, going to SEC play, we're ready. We're excited to, to play at home. What It feels like it's been a really long time. Um, so <laughs> it'll be really nice to be back at Rupp and compete in front of, BBN and um, boost the confidence and just just get rolling with SEC. It's it's about time. Madison, you, know, you, you touched on that Nebraska game. We're going to kind of shift to that a little bit. One of your all's biggest struggles, me and Leah have talked about it a lot um, on the podcast, has just been 
you will have these really high highs of offensive efficiency and being really, really elite. And then you just fall into these lulls where you just can't side out, can't get a kill against Nebraska, who was the statistically best defensive team in the country. You all had a season high hitting percentage for any opponent that played against Nebraska all year. Going into that match, I think a lot of us thought, man, Kentucky is struggling with offense and Nebraska's best thing is defense. How are they going to do? You all more than held your own. Again, you mentioned it. You came away with a loss. You want to win. There's not necessarily moral victories, I guess. Um, but you all were a totally different team, especially offensively against Nebraska. You, you kind of mentioned turning in that corner. Are you starting to feel like this team is really, really close um, to really kind of breaking out into that offensive juggernaut that we all thought that you all were going to be coming into the year? Absolutely. I mean, I I think we're there. I think we're seeing it. We We started seeing it against Nebraska. I think – you know, we're implementing a lot of new things to our offense. And obviously Brooklyn being a freshman, this is Megan's first year with us. So so we have a lot of new pieces and we're still just trying to, to put it all together. And I think everyone expects preseason to kind of be this like mic drop, here they are. And it's in reality, we had, what, two and a half, two and a half weeks, not even of practice. Like it's just really, really fast. And so to expect all of that, um, I think is tough but we're starting to see it, which is exciting. It's there. We all know it is, and we're working really hard on it. Um, so so in due time, and again, we saw it against Nebraska. I'm really pumped to see what we do this weekend at home against LSU and Tennessee because we're working on a lot of really cool stuff. Again, we have amazing athletes who are capable of running really cool plays, and we're trying to speed up our offense a little bit and um, trying to find, you know, everyone's sets. Everyone is so different. Um, the difference between a ball that Z hits and a ball that Mel hits is really, really different. Um, and it's obviously an advantage that Emma's been setting them for a couple years. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, Ben, our new associate head coach, Emma and I and all of our setters take a lot of pride in our offense. So we're all meeting, like, how are we feeling? How can we be better in this situation? What sets do you want to work on? And I think that's a big part of the dialogue that we're also having with our setters. What do you feel like you need the most work on? Where can we get touches? What do you want to work on? Emma's super pumped about dumping more balls and I love it. So we are, we're getting some extra work in there, but yeah, we're turning a corner. I'm super pumped. And and when it all clicks and I don't think we're far from that, it's going to be really, really fun to watch. So um, everyone, if you're listening, tune in and come to Rupp. <laughs> You mentioned her, so I'm going to ask about it because you kind of have you're in a cool position of some of the people that you are now coaching. You got to win a national championship with, and so Elise Craig has said that this she's playing her best volleyball ever going into her senior year. What differences have you seen from her freshman year going into her senior year? Yeah, I mean, she she's a really fun player, and being in practice with her, she has the ability to be really serious and be a really fiery competitor, but also not take herself too seriously, which I think is a really, really tough line to have. But but Mel, we call her Mel. Sorry, if I say Mel, it's Elise. Um, but Mel has that. And she's hitting the slide at an incredible percentage right now. I think we were looking at it today. It's like five something. Um, and even in front of the setter, she's really doing great too. And um, big props to Emma. Sorry, I'll, I'll, give a, I'll give a setter shout out um, to just be able to locate those balls. And um, blocking wise, Mel is doing great. I think as a whole player, all areas of her game have improved immensely since I played with her as a freshman. And as a freshman, she was starting in the, in the national championship game. So that says a lot. Um, and it's a testament to her hard work, but she's really hard to stop on the slide. And it's, it's great for us offensively, but it's also great for us in practice to be able to defend a slide like that, because 
it arguably is one of the hardest routes to defend. So um, it's a double-edged sword and we're getting to defend it, which is tough, but great for us. And then obviously in games, it's really fun to watch her go off. Craig's talked a lot about the left pin. Obviously you aren't a left side hitter. You weren't whenever you played in Kentucky, but as a setter, what can you all do to try and get Brooklyn and Megan more terminal? Again, they're getting there. It's just, it's slow. And you all had a schedule that didn't really have time for slow, unfortunately, but we are starting to see them slowly kind of figure it out. Um, but what can you guys do, you think, to really find a way to get them more consistent for you on the left side? Yeah, again, we're trying to find the speed. I think we came into preseason, we were really eager to to set a lot of speed because Emma can do that. Um, but just because she can doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. So we kind of decided to slow it up a little bit. And I think that we're starting to see the higher numbers and more efficiency with that. Um, and a lot of it, too, is is just decision making from our outsides. Do I call a shoot, which is what we call our faster left pin ball. Do I call a shoot here or do I call a go, which is more of a higher ball? Um, so them being able to read the game and honestly know Emma's capabilities, a pass is at 11 feet and Emma's moving back. Can she set a shoot or should I call a go? And that's all within how many seconds? I mean, that's yeah. a really fast decision. So um, I think just kind of putting building blocks in place for them to make those decisions in the really quick moments with a massive crowd. And there's so many components to it that um, a young player like Brooklyn, for example, it's just going to take time. And um, again, it's been what a month of that. So it's moving so quickly, but it just feels like it's not because we're playing really tough teams back to back. Um, but the breakthrough is coming close and we're doing again, so many situations in practice every single day to try to like really foster that connection. Um, but, but we're close and, and it's really cool to see it all come to life when it does. And in practice, when they get a tool off the first hand or they bury one inside the middle blocker, it's, it's really cool to see, especially cause you know how much hard work's going into it. So, um, I'm pumped to see it come full circle. We're close and we're, we're about to turn a big tor- turner. Big corner, sorry. Turn a big <laughs> corner. There it is. Okay, I got the last question. We got to okay. take it back. Favorite Kentucky memory, and I have a feeling you're going to say the Natty, but I'm going to challenge you to not say the Natty. Okay, honestly, this is an easy answer for me. I think it's beating BYU in five at oh, home one. Um, in the NCAA tournament. What year was that? Was it? 17. Was it it my freshman year? Yeah. It was your Um, freshman year. I I remember that match so vividly. It was packed in Memorial. We were not supposed to be hosting this round. Everyone could not believe that we were hosting. Um, And then Nebraska had to – everyone thought Nebraska was going to host. So then Nebraska had to come to us. um, And we ended up playing them the next night and lost, unfortunately. But beating BYU in five, it was such an amazing match. I, at that point in my career, had no idea what statistics were. I could not tell you anything about a box score of my freshman year. But now, like, looking back and knowing more about all of the percentages and efficiency and everything, I would love to find the box score from that because I, from what I can remember, it was a really high-level match. So um, that's my answer. And then, of course, the obvious is my number one. But Of course. See, Madison, I was going to have you in by asking you what your favorite memory with Leah specifically was because you and <laughs> Leah, it's funny. I went back to find pictures of you for, you know, that I, that I'd taken for the podcast. And I was like, man, I forget how long her and Leah played together. It wasn't one year. It was two or two years. It was three years that you yeah. were together. 
Yeah, it's pretty wild. And I feel like the summary, if if I were to sum up Leah and I's playing relationship together, it would be Leah would get like bounce a ball and I'd be like, Leah, I'm so sorry. It was such a bad set. And she'd just go up there and bounce it. Or I, I, I would get Leah like one-on-one and she would like sail it out of bounds. And, I, and she'd be like, that one's on me. Like, <laughs> yeah, we just, we just made it work. Like it, it's so fun. It was the most candid setter hitter friendship. Like it, honestly, like I would set a moon ball and Leah would just go up there and make it look like it was the best set in the entire world. Like mm-hmm. it, it was on it, the easiest player I've ever set, and it's not a lot cool. of lot of jump kicks from Leah. That was that was what she was famous <laughs> for. After she get a ball, she jump kick and almost kick you in the face. And yeah, yeah, and the ce- right the celebrations are its own conversation for sure. Uh-huh. You you saw the balls coming out of her hands. Like I couldn't not be excited. <laughs> I haven't had a setter like it since. Trust me, I miss it. I miss it. I know Leah's like ten years <laughs> early, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm just so excited. I'm like, okay, <laughs> just relax. <laughs> It's That's funny. Awesome. Well, Madison, thank you so much for joining us. You're yes. our first coach on, so we're thrilled to have you. Yes, um, thank, thank you, you again for talking talking about the year and all that stuff. We're excited to watch you guys. Um, and if Nebraska was any indication, I think you're right. This team's about ready to, about ready to turn a corner. Um, we're excited to see it. So thank you yeah. again for joining us. We appreciate yes. it. Yes, thank you guys. I love this podcast. Thank you guys for doing this and, and spreading the volleyball knowledge. It's awesome. Anytime, anytime. Yes. Thanks, Madison. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right, Leo, we kind of already hit a lot on Nebraska, so we'll kind of wrap it up here. Um, you know, I think Madison kind of pointed out a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, especially if you watch that match, Brooklyn and Megan. Um, I would really encourage to see them resetting the point a lot. We're going to talk about that maybe a little bit tonight, if not tonight, another time. But just essentially hitting the ball into the block to reset the point um, mm-hmm. so that Eleanor could pick it up, and then they could get kind of a better ball in transition. That was the little stuff that we just haven't really seen from Brooklyn or Megan um, to this point. Rather than just hitting right into the block and then going straight down, finding a way to grit out the point um, and give yourself a better opportunity offensively. And I think those are the intangibles that, again, if you can do that against a Nebraska team that is one of the best in the country, oh, and you're on the road playing in front of, you know, 14,000 people because Nebraska is psychopathic with their attendance records. Like, you know, if you can do that, you can do that against any team. And I think um, there, there's a lot of positives to take away from the Nebraska match. We have been hinting about the team is getting better. You're just still seeing losses. And I think that's kind of hard for fans. But I really think that Nebraska game was a really clear indicator that this team is, like Madison said, about to turn a big corner. Yeah. I mean, I liked the consistency and rotation. I don't think people maybe mm-hmm. realize that. Of You had the same outsides, same middles playing majority of the game. And there right. was a little shift that I don't think anybody realized, but Eleanor Bevan got moved to middle back and Molly Tuzzo mm-hmm. got moved to left back. And I also really liked that as well. And that was but- Molly's best game. Yeah, little things like that that maybe the regular fan might not see, but that I saw that I was like, I really like how that looks. I think that works. But the consistency of being able to have the same people on the court for the same amount of time really makes a difference. Getting to get in a rhythm, knowing, okay, when this point happens, this person's rotating in, but that person's going to come back and it's not going to be a new person that might have a new energy or anything. You're getting the same consistency across the board. And I really liked that about that game. Also, you got to keep in mind that this team has been playing together officially for only a month. They can't do anything over the summer. Half of the girls weren't here in the spring because they're new. And so there's still things that have to be worked out. And those teams that have things rolling on all cylinders, you got to remember, they probably have so many returners coming back and have people who 
are stuck in their spot and have been stuck in that spot since their freshman year. So I think keeping that in mind of like you only get two weeks of practice and then you're playing games with new people who are playing sometimes uh, clearly running a new offense. Like Madison said, they're running a very fast offense right now. New things happening at the same time. Sometimes it takes a little bit and it sucks that losses come out of that, but you'd rather have it now than have it in December, of course. But that game looked really good. Didn't like some of the calls that might be a big 10 ref type of thing. And it's really it hard. It was it, it it was hard to watch because there are sometimes those things where you see the camera angle and you like you know that's what it is and you know they're not going to call it and that was frustrating for me as a player and as an alumni and as someone doing podcasts just to see all that happen <laughs> at the same time. I was just like, ah, and it happens. And those are things you just got to work through. Like you're not going to always get the call that you want. And Craig's not always going to run a green card. And so yeah. things like that, that change the momentum of the game, you got to be able to stick out those two as well. Cause you definitely saw a little bit of a shift when you put in all that work just to not get the point that you think you deserve. I think the most glaring, obviously obvious example of that was in that minute 12 rally when Emma dumped the ball over Lexi Rodriguez was, close but that ball was down that was not a pancake and the funny thing is even nebraska fans on twitter were like it's a great rally but that ball was down I and mean, we'll take the point but that ball was you know, down the crazy thing is last time that i played nebraska they had a same point in a same moment of the game where i hit a ball and i saw that it was down and they said it was up and even the girl went on twitter and quoted the tweet and was like the ball was down so yeah, you, it must something, be like something a, about you in nebraska it's, you, it's you like, were bad luck Kentucky, Nebraska is just like not the thing. And I was like, oh my God, we've lost six games to them. I was like, we played them that much? My goodness, we got to stop scheduling. Like, it just got, we can't do it anymore. Got to give us like a 10 year break between us yeah, and Nebraska. There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, if you ask Craig, though, Craig Craig wants it. Oh my he, God. He is determined. He would play them he is three beat times Doug. a year, uh -huh. every year, if he could. He would. He would. Well, we'll transition out of this. We'll do kind of a little brief uh, rundown before we get to Ace in it. Kentucky's got LSU tomorrow, and then a ranked Tennessee team, number 14 Tennessee, is coming to rep on Sunday. Um, Tennessee's kind of, I don't want to say a surprise, because they had a lot of really good pieces coming back, but to see them at 14th already this early in the year is kind of a, a bit of a surprise. Um, they're 9-1, and one, their only loss, a five-set loss to Wisconsin, who is obviously currently number one in the country. So the Volunteers are no joke, and this is going to be a big challenge. I mean, neither is LSU. I don't want to overlook LSU. Both of these teams to start SEC play, um, th this is a heck of a start for the Cats. But this is a weekend where, again, we've seen improvement over the last several weeks. Let's see if that can transition how where Kentucky is finally back home. You know, Madison mentioned it, said it's felt like forever since they played since they played at home, it's been three weeks. It has been forever. Kentucky has been on the road every weekend. So they're finally back at Rupp in front of the BBN. Um, what are you excited and looking forward to see um, from Kentucky this weekend? Them being at home. And I don't think people know the difference of being able to play at home, being in that routine of being at home, being away. Like your, your back's always on the wall. Like you're playing mm -hmm. in someone else's home and someone else's environment with their fans. So to be able to be in your comfort zone, I mean, I know Rupp isn't the most comforting zone because it's just not Memorial, but to be at home, to be in Lexington, to be in that type of routine, if you're not traveling somewhere, you're not staying in a hotel, you get to be here, I think makes such a big difference. But also I want to see those continuations of jumps that they made from the Nebraska game. That showed us so much. I want to see that continue. And also making sure that they're not under estimating LSU because same time last year LSU yeah. came in first game of SEC and came in and beat and 
beat them in five. And yeah. so not underestimating the SEC. I mean, we're at a point now where the SEC is very, very good from top to bottom. And so making sure you're not underestimating your opponent and also not looking forward to that Sunday game because Tennessee always gives Kentucky a run for their money. And I have been on the wrong side of that as well. Yeah. And so just being taking what they learn from non-conference and putting that into SEC because, I mean, like I said before, I started off non-conference 0-3, barely over 500 going in the SEC, and then we end up being undefeated in SEC. So to them, this is a new season. SEC is completely separate from non-conference, just as postseason is completely separate from SEC. They take this as a new season, a new time to shine, because the season can com completely flip starting tomorrow. Well, and you mentioned it. The SEC currently has five teams sitting in the top 25. So this is not the SEC of old where it was essentially, oh, SEC plays here. Kentucky is going to just roll until they play Florida. That is not how it is anymore. You're playing Auburns and Tennessees and Arkansas and Floridas. I mean, even teams that aren't ranked are pulling off really big upsets in the non-conference. So like you mentioned, this is not going to be cakewalk. Kentucky's got to take care of business against LSU. And then you got a big game against Tennessee on Sunday you need to come out of the weekend with a lot of positive momentum. I, th I think this team, Madison mentioned it, their spirits are high because I think they know they're close to a breakthrough. But at some point, confidence-wise, you just need a win. So that's important this weekend. Make sure you go in, take care of business, um, and, and try and come out with two wins. Get yourself 2-0 in conference play. Start start the conference season off strong. Obviously, it's always a race to see who's going to come down and win it. Is it going to be Kentucky or Florida or another team this year since there's so many good teams? If you come out and go 2-0, um, you kind of set a tone early, and like Florida, for example, they're going and playing at at Auburn tomorrow. That's a ranked game, playing at number twenty four Auburn. So, you know, who knows if you come out and and they fall early, or Auburn falls early, and you come out two and zero, you've already given yourself a little bit of a foothold in the SEC. That kind of stuff is important as you begin conference play. Well, Leah, we've talked a lot about offense tonight, so why don't we transition to acing it? Because I think, if I remember correctly, you are giving us um, some offense in our acing it schedule tonight. Yes. So, I mean, we had one of the best offensive runners in Kentucky history here, and I got to run her offense. So mm -hmm. why not talk about it? Um, it. For y'all that don't know, in volleyball, we do run offenses. And I know that sounds crazy because yeah. it's like, when do you have time to figure out what you're running? Um, but now I'm going to give you some tips and you can look out for it this weekend. So in volleyball, we do have offenses and it's based literally on if you're serve receiving or if um, you're serving. So serve receive, you'll see the setter. Look for the setter. Look at Emma tomorrow. You'll see her giving signals to her hitters and they will, that will tell her, tell them where to go. Yeah. <laughs> Behind her jersey all the time. You might see fours, fists, all types of different signals. Each team has different ones. And of course, I know Kentucky, so I'm not going to show them. But <laughs> Because they haven't changed. They haven't changed. But, yeah, so there's an there's offenses and there's specific plays that you run depending on who you have. So let's say that you have Megan, um, Z, and Rebo front row, Reagan Rutherford front row. Usually you're going to run um, your pins on the outside and you're going to run your middle kind of moving depending on who you're trying to get open. So that middle position in your offense, even though it sucks, they might not get a lot of points, but they open up your pins. And that's a big role of middles. And some, there are some middles that take an immense amount of pride in pulling that middle blocker to leave your outside pins one on none. And so that's kind of like the basis of a middle and offense. You're just trying to pull that middle blocker to open up everything else. So you have for the outside, you have maybe a range of, I'll say about four different sets you might see. So you have a shoot 
which is like as fast as you can possibly get about 0.8 seconds out of the setter's hand, which is like ridiculously fast. You've seen Kentucky run it a little bit. When you see those misconnections, that's usually a shoot. Then you have a go, which is kind of still fast paced, but it's a little bit higher. And then you have a hut out of system ball. That's that ball that you see when platform flinging it up in the air. They are still calling something, even though it doesn't seem like it, but they are. That's called a hut out of system ball, a four, whatever you want to say. And then there's a thing called a rip. And that's when that outside comes into the court and kind of runs in the middle, in between the right and the middle blocker. So those are kind of the range for the outsides. Now the middles, the middles and Z is not a very good example of this. Yeah, she's kind of a hybrid. Anything. She's yeah. a hybrid between a middle and a right side. So some of the sets she runs, normal middles like Mel or Jordan are not running that. Mm -hmm. But for middles, you're running something usually called a zero tempo, which means that you're hitting the ball as soon as it leaves your setter's hands, which sounds insane. And that's why middle attacks look so quick because you are literally, as soon as the ball leaves the setter's hands, you are hitting it. So the tempo has to be insanely fast and you have to be so in sync with your setters. And so that's why sometimes you see a lot of misconnections between middles and setters, because if you aren't in the right spot and she sets that ball to that spot and you are like a little too far out or too far in, you're going to miss it. And so it's extremely fast, extremely quick. Middles usually do that. You will rarely see a middle run anything higher than that. If they do, might be special circumstance or a Johnny Teeler. Um, and you have a wide range. You like to run middles and gaps in between people because when you run them in between gaps, the middle on the other side has to then decide whether or not they're going to block it, which again, opens up your pin hitters, which is the main goal is you want your pin hitters to be open as much as possible. And I'm not saying that selfishly because I'm a pin, but it just gives you better chances and middles know that that's their role. And then your right side, you have a wide range depending on what type of right side you have. Um, I have played with right sides at Kentucky, like Brooke Morgan, who run middle attacks from the back from behind, like a slide, like you see at least get singer run a lot. She used to run those. And then you have um, regular right sides like Rebo that just run regular tempo. So it kind of depends. And of course you have your back row attack, which we haven't seen a lot from Kentucky this year. And so Reagan is Reagan is starting to do it. Though. It's Jeez. starting. It is starting. And that you can run from the right back, middle back or left back. We see her mm -hmm. mostly from right in the middle back. Um, it's nice because she gets to sit back on the inline, just kind of run whatever she wants. That's my favorite thing to do as well. Can't get out of it now, but you see my favorite thing to do at Kentucky, not having to pass. Um, but you have a lot of options there. And usually back row attacks, um, if a team knows you do it a lot, you might have three blockers up, which I had 90% of the time was All three time. blockers <laughs> up ready because they knew it was coming. But with Reagan right now, since it's not something that they've really formulated and had running a lot. She gets one blocker up. Um, as you know, with back row attack, you can't cross that 10 foot line. And if you do, you're considered back row and you get called for that. But yeah, offense really kind of just depends on where you're at. Um, even if you listen really carefully, when the ball comes back over like a free ball, you'll hear people yelling things. A lot of offense is audible. Um, but in practices, you practice those situations. So when a ball gets sent to Emma, you practice those situations of what would you run in that situation? Or let's say you get a free ball. And there are times where Craig was like, if we get a free ball, I want you to run this play 
always. And so it just kind of depends on the situation. But in your mind, as a hitter, a hitter has to make a decision before the setter can make a decision. And I think that's what people don't realize as well is like, if I don't speak, my setter will not set me. And same with Emma, same with Madison. If they didn't hear their hitters, they're not going to set them. So the hitters have to communicate what they want to hit. The setters have to listen. And then that has to happen in a matter of one to two seconds, which is like insane to think about. Um, but that's also why you run offenses. So I know in transition, most of the time I'm running the same thing. So I really don't have to yell it. But if I really wanted the ball, I was screaming my head off. So, but yeah, we run offense and watch Friday and Sunday and see if you can catch some of the drift of what type of plays they're running over and over again. If you can do that, hit me on Twitter and see, tell me what you see. And, you know, that's, you, you kind of mentioned it. That's one of the biggest questions that at least I hear about volleyball. People actually run offense that they very much do. It's very much a very mm -hmm. set thing um, that you, again, might not know if you aren't as familiar with volleyball. It's why Leah and I talk so much about how important service seed is getting a perfect pass to Emma's hands so they can actually have all three options available. And so she can actually run um, a set or a play that actually is going to work without having to just worry about throwing it up there for an outside because the pass was so bad. That is a big reason why serve receive is so wildly important. Because like you mentioned, it's all happening in a split second. You have, you know, one second literally to figure out what you're going to run and whether or not you can actually do it and then communicate that with mm -hmm. your hitters and your setters and vice versa. So it's there. It just happens so quickly that you might not necessarily realize it. And it's a lot to take in. But yes, pay attention to that this weekend whenever you're watching Kentucky because they do run plays and offense, especially lately, the last five years, Kentucky, it's really got going um, with running some fast offenses, some complicated offenses, using more than one, um, more than one position on the court, they're using all their hitters, and it's even even this year with Reagan hitting out of the back row, you don't see a lot of right sides hitting out of the back row in collegiate volleyball. It's kind of more a little more uncommon. So with Reagan especially, that's a really big thing to watch. It's why they're trying to get it to work so much because if you can get it to work, it's not common. So most teams don't know how to defend it. They don't see it very often. And that's why now that Reagan is finally seeming like that connection with Emma is there in the back row, it's why she's finding the floor more consistently. And it's also why it looks so gnarly when they actually make it work. She's putting a hole in the floor whenever they get it because that connection is finally there. And they're probably able to communicate that. Well, thank you, Leah. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in again. This is another great episode of, of Point Kentucky. Thank you to Madison for joining us. Really enjoyed talking to her, catching up with her. Obviously, she had a great a great pro, pro career. Um, was one of the, the greatest athletes that Kentucky has seen. So really cool to have her on the coaching staff and have her come on the pod. Thank you again, Leah, for joining me. This is Leah's actually last episode in Kentucky. She's still going to be on the podcast, still joining us, but she leaves for Texas, right? Arizona. 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 I knew it was somewhere Good out west. That's right. Leaves <laughs> for Arizona to begin her pro career. She's still going to be joining us every Thursday, but now you all can actually watch her um, side by side. You can watch her on ESPN+. Plus. Her, Kaz Brown. Um, Ali Stumler, Ali Linehan now, they're all going to be playing that pro league together. So we'll talk about that more next week once it's kind of officially started or about to start. And Leah kind of has the details to give us. So we'll talk about that next week. Don't worry about that. Um, but this is officially Leah's last episode in Kentucky, at least for the time being. So we're very excited to see her play along with Kentucky this year. It's a really cool thing that they're doing, um, playing alongside the women's collegiate level season. So make sure you tune in next week so you can get the details for that. We're going to have another guest on hopefully next week. Um, and hopefully we'll be talking about two Kentucky wins. We, I don't think we've had that yet this year. Not, we've had one podcast, but we had one, one. But we need two. We need to have a, a winning episode. Definitely. So hopefully we'll get that next week. Thank you all for joining us. Tune in next week. Um, we'll see you then.